Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. My big takeaway from today is that colon cancer rates are on the rise for younger people. According to Keith, he thinks it's driven by a lack of activity. Maybe younger people are gaming more. They're just not walking. They're not riding their bikes. And so when you have an increase in weight, you have an increase in inflammation and inflammation can drive stimulation of cancer cells. And you're going to have to tune in today to find out my other shocking takeaway, which has to do with drinking hot beverages. I have to tell you, I drink hot beverages all day long because I live in Seattle and it's cold. So you got to tune in to hear the rest of Keith's tips. Okay, Keith Bishop, retired pharmacist, clinical nutritionist, and wannabe cowboy. Do yes. I have that right? Um, well, yes, I do <laughs> cowboy work. I ride horses. I have horses. Uh, so I've kind of converted from the city life to the country life. You sure have. And we're going to jump into so many things because I have to tell you right off the bat, you kind of pick on some of the foods that I love in mm-hmm. response to can some of these foods contribute to cancer risk. But we'll jump into that in a second. But what I want to ask, you've been in the health field for 30 plus years. Yeah, since 1977. 1977. How have you seen cancer rates change or the cancer landscape, we'll call it? How have you seen that changed since the 70s? Um, it's, well, there's more understanding and, and earlier diagnosis. Uh, it's not so much of a, a, a seem like a late stage not quite as bad. So used to be colon cancer. It was like, oh no, you know, that's serious because nobody was getting a colonoscopy and not following through with the doctors and things like that. Now that the screenings are more frequent and even in senior adults, the colon cancer risks are going down. Um, Breast cancer, I think the rates, I think are are going down a little bit. And so that's, that's good Mm -hmm. news. And, uh, but it, overall, it's not that much of a change. I think it's still kind of flat because we have some other groups, like some young people that are getting more cancer now. Mm-hmm. Yes, you and I had a little bit of a discussion earlier about that. Uh, so it seems like colon cancer's on the decline for older folks like ourselves, Yes, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. in- increasing in younger folks. So can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, I, I believe what's happening and when I kind of look at the younger people that I work with and grandkids and great-grandchild, their life is quite different. And so mm-hmm. what they eat and their activity level. So you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I had to walk to school in the snow, uphill, barefoot, you, you know, kind thing. of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but it's quite different now because everybody drives everywhere. And I, I did have to walk to school. It was a mile and a half. I did have to walk to school uh, or ride my bike and, and things like that. Well, now everybody drives everywhere. Mostly they're not as active. They're doing a lot more gaming and computer 
type activities and sitting. And, and that creates excess body weight along with the food issue I'll get into in just a second. Increased body weight, which creates inflammation, and inflammation is a cancer driver. And so body fat cells create inflammation, including IL-6 and such, that stimulates cancer growth. So that's part of it. And then also what they're eating is not quite as healthy, uh, a lot more fast food. And when I was a child, you know, we didn't go out to eat. I mean, it was rare. And and mom, you know, fixed meals. Uh, my grandparents fixed meals at home. We did not go out to eat. And now it's like that. Now they don't eat at home. It's really true. It's, 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 it's flipped. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, activity has changed dramatically, but also our food consumption has also changed dramatically. It is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. A lot more junk food and uh, stimulant drinks and instead of water. We didn't, as a child, even we didn't have soda pop. I mean, it was rare to have a soda pop. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And and soda was okay. We maybe we'd get a soda after church on Sunday. You know, when we went out for our one meal of the week. It was diet and lifestyle, and maybe a couple of supplements might have an impact. But it was like what we were eating. And, and activity level. And that was a shock. Yeah. And, and so then I have a, uh, a couple of uncles that have had prostate cancer. So there's a, a genetic tendency for many cancers, and that is one of them. And um, my brother, oh, and then my mother, uh, actually, she ended up uh, dying of brain cancer. Oh, my gosh. And my uh, father had died of Alzheimer's. So the brain's very important mm-hmm. to me. And, but, so the cancer risks, you know, stimulated my interest. And so while my mother had cancer is when I started doing my research. And so that was in 2008. And I started publishing information about cancer type things and, and about things that, you know, we, we need to be careful about. Yeah, she loved soda pops. Can you tell me a little bit more about the link to sugar and cancer? Yeah, that is a controversial topic. And, yeah. and there are... Some people on the internet that are saying, oh, sugar doesn't make a difference. And then others are saying, yes, it does. And, and some say that sugar doesn't feed cancer and others say that it does. But, the, you know, cancer does use various different chemicals from our body for energy. And sugar is one of those. Glucose mm-hmm. is one of those ingredients. So sugars, you know, in soda pop, for example, uh, in women uh, and in men, Essentially, it's about the same ratio, but even just one soda pop a day increases the risk of breast cancer by like 30 to 40 percent. Oh, my gosh. And so, matter of fact, years ago, uh, I had a, a sales rep that came into the pharmacy and and he was starting to have some concerns about uh, prostate cancer. His PSA was going up. He was a young uh, Hispanic man. And, and I told him that fact. And he was drinking like two or three soda pops every day. He stopped the soda pop and his PSA went down. Hmm. Gosh, that's shocking. Yeah, it is. And so, but, you know, there are, well, you know, what, 11 teaspoons of sugar in a uh, yeah, soda pop? Right, yeah, right around there. American Heart Association says we can have, I think women can have four to five teaspoons of sugar a day. Men can have around six teaspoons of sugar a day. So you have one soda right. and that's two days worth of sugar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's just too much. And so that does feed things. It, it also does increase the uh, the weight gain, the body fat gain, 
and body fat makes inflammation chemicals. So sugars are a different concern. You know, here in Oklahoma, sweet tea means like syrup. You pick on some of my favorite foods. So let's talk about that because I don't want to get cancer again. But I love, you can see me, I'm drinking hot tea. Love my hot tea. Hotter the better. Mm -hmm. Oh, Yes. Okay. Tell me about this, Keith. Why? Why? No. The hot. <laughs> it's a hot. It's the extremely hot. The boiling temperature is too hot. And if once you make your tea and brew it, let the tea bag in there after, you know, after about five minutes, the temperature is going to drop to a drinkable temperature unless you have that insulated top on it to hold the temperature in while you're brewing it. But if you let it cool off a little bit, it's not gonna be as much of a concern. The, the hot beverage, when we swallow it, at first the mouth seems to be able to handle that pretty good. But, but the esophagus is more sensitive to it. And, and it's kind of like a sunburn. And if we keep damaging that with that hot beverage and burn the, esoph- the esophagus tissues repeatedly, then those cells are going to grow and repair like a sunburn, a repeated sunburn year after year after year, increases the risk of skin cancers. Well, we get the same type of concern for the throat. And so, so it's just, you can't, it's not like you shouldn't have hot beverages. We have to be careful about the temperature. And so one, one general rule is I just say, well, you know, if, if you're brewing it or your coffee, you know, if you let it sit for just a couple of minutes, it's okay. Boiling is too hot, but if there's steam coming off of it, it might be too hot. Actually, stainless steel is okay, mm-hmm. not plastic. Yep. yep, that's what I'm, I'm drinking out of a stainless steel okay, um, good. Okay. right now without the lid, because here's the other issue is the lid is plastic. Yes. So then the steam the steam goes north, hits the lid, right. you know, grabs onto all that junk that's in the plastic and drops it back into your beverage. So I try to, you know, not use the lids too much unless I'm driving um, and there's a chance of a spill. But so it sounds like I still, I still can drink yes. my hot tea or hot coffee, Definitely. but make sure that, you know, it's not so hot that it's going to, it's going to burn my esophagus. Correct. Yes. And, and so the, the whole, the major thing of all of this, everything we're talking about is we, first of all, we don't have to be perfect, mm-hmm. but it's the day in and day out or several times a day, that's what creates the problem. So yes, if occasionally you have that extremely hot beverage, that's okay. But it's, if you do it every day for years, now we've got Mm -hmm. a problem. Or occasionally with your, your cup, if you had that plastic top on it and I do the same thing, driving to work, I'm going to have that. But Mm -hmm. it's not like I do that all the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about another one, red meat. I grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. Northern California, and I like my red meat Yes, and my potatoes. Mm-hmm. That was our Sunday night dinner. <laughs> That's right. And so yeah. uh, I was raised the same way, you know, in, you know, in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's oil and gas and cattle. You know, that's mm-hmm. our, our income, you know, for the state. And matter of fact, uh, the red meat, you know, is a risk factor. It's not like you have to be perfect on this, but red meat itself is a, a risk factor. It may be due to chemicals that can be in it. So free range is the preferred choice. That's what I do. And it's not like okay. I avoid red meat, I but I don't eat it every day. And 
Mm-hmm. Then, okay. uh, and then when the feed type things, they, they uh, often will give estrogens to create a faster weight gain in the feedlots. And, and so that creates uh, yeah. tissue growth and fat marbles, marbleizing in the meat tissues. So when, if you can get free range, that's going to be the best option. But probably one thing that's probably even more important is usually that meat is often cooked to done. It's grilled at a high temperature, mm-hmm. it's charred, and that browning and charring and blackening, that's cancer-causing chemicals. Hydrocyclic mm-hmm. amines and polycyclic yeah. amines. And genetically, for some people, and matter of fact, myself, a genetic test, that is a risk factor for me. So therefore, really? I limit, don't avoid, but I limit. And then also, when I do cook a steak, I cook it at a very low temperature, turn it frequently. We mm-hmm. marinate it with herbs like rosemary and mm-hmm. such. Rosemary can knock the wrist down exactly. of the carcinogenic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really can. And so we'll we'll do a marinade of that and be very careful about the temperature and 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 eat it medium rare. Mm-hmm. And because if it's overcooked, that is a major problem. So we really well. There's one other thing. There is a sugar in meat. That yep. might be a contributor factor, but I think that really it's the fact that the way the meat is cooked at too high of a temperature might be the major factor. So it's not just grilling outside, mm-hmm. like I'm talking about, but even pan frying or browning anything or oven and broiling. So mm-hmm. anytime you over brown anything, you know, we're actually running into a risk of increased cancer risks. Okay. So perhaps it's it's not the red meat itself. It's the cooking process. Yes. And maybe. and the growth process it sounds like yes. with growth hormones and the you know the ex, the the estrogen which is never a good thing coming right. into your body from from you know a protein source. Right. So yeah. um you know we have potatoes. You know it is a starch and there are some concerns about um, keto diets and and paleo and 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 not and so research does show that people have a tendency to do better if they have cancer they have a tendency and going through treatment they have a tendency to do better if they're doing keto okay now, but traditionally that means meat but but once again the the white foods have a tendency to like rice and potatoes and pasta, flour, sugar have a tendency to provide those carbohydrates and sugars, like we first mentioned, in, which can help feed cancer cells. So the potatoes, it's not like we never have potatoes. If you're going to have meat, it'd be one palm of meat and then okay. two palms of vegetables. Great. That's enough food yeah. to get you by for three or four hours without creating ex- excess weight gain or body fat gain. And, mm-hmm. and provide all the basics. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you can definitely do legumes, uh, but it takes at least probably more like two palms of legumes. And then you still got one more palm. So in my mind, anytime I'm eating, I'm thinking about that three palm rule to keep from going Great overboard. Tip. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And eating slower too. Yes, that makes a exactly. big difference. Yeah. It, it takes not, 20 minutes to yeah. get full. It does. And so it does. whether you're eating just a plain green salad or if you're, you know, eating, you know, meat, you know, it takes 20 minutes to get full. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. Yes. And so it's also, uh, I, my dad, uh, bless his heart, um, he used to talk about my husband and how, how fast my husband eats because my husband was in the army and he said, you don't have much time to eat. So you just, you just kind of inhale mm-hmm. and um, he's working on it. But it's funny when I, when I eat with him, which of course is every day, I find that I kind of start to mimic how he eats. And so I have to slow down, Mm -hmm. kind of center myself, put my fork down between each bite, or at least, you know, don't keep shoveling. And I feel better when I don't eat so fast. Um, I've had issues with digestion. I've had GERD before. I was diagnosed with Barrett's esophagus. So mm -hmm. I, I need to be careful of, you know, my digestion. So I do a lot of great things to support that, and eating slower is one of them. And, and the social aspect is important, too. So if mm-hmm. you're with people and visiting, it's easier to go slow. That's really true. Yeah, that's really true. Well, you bring up another topic um, about how much liquid you should be drinking. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, especially with your digestive issues. And so the... Um, the stomach, if you, if you really look at it and uh, at my desk, uh, at my office, I have a picture of a stomach or a, a model of a stomach on my desk. It's the size of your fist. Hmm. Your stomach okay. is not very big. And if you eat your three palms of food or more, and you add a lot of liquid in now your stomach is expanding. So a few things are going to happen. And one could be increased risk of reflux because your stomach's only so big. It actually is kind of like a muscle. It is a muscle type tissue. And, and if you bend over, move a certain way, uh, it's just going to have a tendency to squish up into the esophagus. And the esophagus is not made for acid. And it the stomach is. Now, the stomach is hydrochloric acid. Manufacturing plant is supposed to be there. It can handle it. And matter of fact, when that acid is there, the cardia, the top part of the stomach and the lower esophageal sphincter, both of those close to keep food from coming up into the esophagus and creating the reflux issue. But if you drink too much water, you dilute down your food, your minerals and the acid in the stomach. So now you're not going to absorb your nutrients as good you're going to have a greater risk, therefore, of also refluxing. And water is also, it is basically acidic, doesn't have any minerals in it, so it's going to have fewer minerals. So, yes, we only should be drinking enough liquid to just get our food down, and that's it. And, and you, you can get, have that water at another time of the day. You know, an hour or two after you've eaten, you should have digested your food. It should be gone and emptied out. If you're still bloated, uh, feel like food is still sitting in your stomach, you probably don't have enough acid and you're not digesting things right. So it should empty out and, and, and such. So, um, and then, but two hours after a meal, yeah, go ahead and get the rest of your liquids in. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things to drink. It's bone broth. And I have to tell you, I'm relatively new to the whole bone broth game. But one of the reasons I started drinking bone broth is when I had cancer, I had a really hard time 
keeping food down, getting enough protein. And quite honestly, I had so much inflammation going on in my body. I was really looking for something that was nutritious. Again, I could really get a lot of protein out of and would be really soothing to my gut. So I jumped headlong into bone broth. And one of the things I love about bone broth is that there's so much gelatin and collagen in it. Studies show that gelatin is beneficial to restoring strength to the gut lining, and it can help to fight food sensitivities. And then bonus, it helps to grow probiotics in your gut, the probiotic bacteria, which is what we really want, which helps to really boost immune system. So I have to tell you about my favorite bone broth, which is from ButcherBox. What I love about it is it's got three ingredients, organic chicken, organic carrots, and filtered water. That is it. I love it so much. I drink it in the afternoon to kind of give me an energetic boost. I drink it in the morning. I drink it on cold days. Honestly, it's just one of my favorite products. Okay, so when I was telling ButcherBox about how much I love their chicken bone broth, they gave it an amazing deal to my listeners. It's actually a deal that they've never even created before. And here's their deal. Chicken bone broth for free for an entire year. It's crazy. They've actually, as I said, they've never done a deal like this before. And then bonus, you get $20 off your first box. So go to the link in my show notes, click the link, use the code ENOS. You'll get $20 off your first box and free bone broth for an entire year. Okay, so let's jump on to some of these controversial topics. So I want to talk about, we talked about red meat. Um, I wanted to ask you about eggs, fermented dairy, and dates. I Mm -hmm. love a couple of handful, you know, not a couple of handfuls, two or three dates after dinner, or I use dates in my green smoothie Mm -hmm. to give it a little added sweetness. Mm -hmm. Are dates a good cancer prevention food? They really are. And so the the fi- probably the fiber in the date, um, what decreases the amount of sugars that are in it. it does have a, each date has twenty or thirty you know calories, so it has quite a bit. It has quite a bit of sugar, the, natural sugar. The, mm-hmm. the fibers though will decrease that impact of the natural sugars, and and then something about them. And and actually, I didn't. I, they don't really know why, but people that consume dates have a lower risk of all kinds of cancers. Okay. So, and I think it's probably the fiber type thing. Mm -hmm. So we see a similar type thing actually with all fruits and vegetables. And, you know, matter of fact, if they're, if they're uh, dried fruits like dates, you know, they can definitely decrease all fruits, decrease the risk of cancer essentially. But we just have to be a little bit more careful about dried fruit being too many calories. And, and it's easy for me to grab too many of those and eat too many at once. Mm -hmm. So you know, three, four dates, you know, for me is probably enough, you know, 20 or 30 calories a piece. You know, that's right. probably enough. Right. And so, so we have to be careful about that quantity once mm-hmm. again. Okay. And, you know, yes. So dates are dried. What about other types of dried fruit? I, I see those at stores all the time, Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. dried mango, dried bananas. And well, and so we just have to, yeah, pineapple. we have to read those labels. So I'm very cautious about that. And, you know, my wife, she doesn't like shopping with me because mm, I'm looking at the label and to see what's in it. And often in, mo- in all those commercial type dried products, they often will add sugars into them to sweeten mm. them up. 
So we, we need to read the label. And now, so if it's in a bin and you can't measure it and they don't have that ingredient label, I probably won't get it. But, but you know, apricots, okay. uh, banana chips even are okay. Matter of fact, you know, I dehydrate all kinds of fruits and to help kind of preserve them. Um, at the pharmacy, we, we buy fruit for our associates so that they can have something to snack on. But, you know, they don't always eat enough. And so I'll take those bananas that are ripe, bring them home, dehydrate them, take them back up. And they love the the mm. chips. And that's a great option, especially great. if you put a little bit of cinnamon or something like that on there too. So right, great option. Right. Isn't there another chemical that's sprayed on dried fruit though to preserve it? There can be, yes. And you know, I have to admit, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Forget I'm the not name sure of what it. that is. So I know. I'll 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 look it up and I'll tag it in the show notes because that's one of the reasons why I don't buy dried fruit other than dates, mm-hmm. is because it's been sprayed with something. And it's a chemical. I mean, I try to just avoid as many chemicals as possible, but. Sure. Exactly. Limit as much as possible. Right. Exactly. We can't be perfect, but we need to do the best we can. Right. We can. Okay. Let's talk about fermented dairy. And give me a couple mm-hmm. of examples of fermented dairy. Well, cheese. Oh, okay. Cheese, yogurt, things like that. So fermented means that they've added a culture to it, whether it be a bacteria or a yeast mold type culture ingredient and and that actually eats away and digests the lactose typically Mm -hmm. and in that process it becomes thick cottage cheese it becomes thick lumpy and and in that process actually for some reason decreases the risk of cancers and so there isn't a strong correlation for fermented dairy matter of fact essentially no correlation with fermented dairy products so whether it be the yogurt or cottage cheese or cheeses, I can't find any consistent issues. There's a couple of studies that may say, oh, there's a little problem. And then there's other studies saying that it's definitely not Hmm. a problem. So fermented is okay. Since there's a little bit of a a question about some of those, I I definitely will eat some cheeses, but I don't do it every day. Okay. And so I try to limit that quantity. But we also run into the same kind of thing as it depends on the dairy source and potential uh, chemicals that are, you know, in the cows. Right. Or that. that are added in the processing. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Tell me about eggs. I love me some eggs. I've had eggs and I choose not to have chickens <laughs> anymore. Rather, I've had chickens. I choose not to have chickens anymore. Really? So the eggs are a, they're, they are an egg. And so they have growth factors that help that baby chicken to grow. And, and it's probably those growth chemicals in that that has a tendency to stimulate some growth in our body, cancer cell growth. Hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, and we haven't talked about milk, but we're going to. So dairy, dairy milk and eggs are food for babies. And they help hmm. those babies grow, even though they don't eat ideal, whether it be human babies or, or, or chickens. They don't eat ideal, but they, it's amazing how well they grow with those growth nutrients and how fast they grow. Well, after a mammal is weaned, most mammals don't drink milk. That's after true. being weaned, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we should not be drinking milk. And so, milk, like dairy milk, does increase the risk of cancers, and so does eggs. So the the milk, same type of thing is like, uh, well, we don't have milk in the house because there's so many alternatives that we can right. use. 
you know, right. you know, all the almond milks and, and, and so many options and uh, unsweetened versions are best. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can add a little bit of monk fruit or stevia to it to help sweeten it up. And then if a recipe calls from dairy milk and you need the fats that are in that milk, well, you can add a little bit of olive oil into that mm-hmm. and, right. and bake with that to help get that more that ratio you know, correct. So we okay. really don't need to have milk to be healthy. That is that is true. Now, eggs, I just I'm having a hard time getting my head around it. Um, what about is there a difference between commercially produced eggs, big farm, you know, whatever um, commercial feedlot type of eggs versus buying them at my local farmer's market? I think buying them at the local farmer's market and more like a free range type right. thing, if, if that's what they say that they do, would be my preference. And we are blessed, actually. So we do occasionally eat eggs no more than once a week. And we get them from our friends that are in the country. The chickens are out mm-hmm. running around doing their thing and working, you know, free range. They go in every night, lock them in and keep the coyotes away from them. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's okay. Um, but still, I think there's some growth factors, but then commercially grown, they actually add all types of growth factors, you know, to, to the, feed. To the mm-hmm. feed and, and, and there's all kinds of chemicals, you know, same thing, no matter what the animal is like salmon, you know, farm raised salmon, you know, they're in a cage in the ocean and they have PCBs in there. And we're, how are they getting that? It's in the feed for some yeah. reason. I don't understand. Right. But those are done in foreign countries, and and they don't have regulations on mm-hmm. what's in in the food product. Right. Well, let's. Um, so, just to kind of recap, it sounds like you're saying that eggs can still be okay. Yes, once a week is my preference. Yes, once a mm-hmm. week. And if best version is going to be, you know, the free range. Yes. But what if I'm shopping at, you know, Safeway or Trader Joe's? Do you think I can trust the label when it says free range? Pretty much so, yes. Uh, but but there's also, now what okay. does cage free and free range mean? So there are definitions on that too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cage free, that means they're just not held in the little tiny one foot square cage. So, yeah. So, but, right. uh, you know, right. uh, the labeling is is. It's a guide. It's not perfect, but it is a guide. Yes, mm-hmm. and and would be better than the ones okay. that definitely don't say anything whatsoever about their source or how the animal is treated, right. anything like that. Okay. All right, we're gonna we're gonna finish with probably the most controversial topic of all, specifically when it comes to breast cancer, soy products. Yes. So yeah, I get more hate comments on, on I'm sure talking, you do. talking about this. So, so, um, and actually, you know, fermented soy is, is actually the biggest concern. And I'm not sure why that is that they don't know why, but, uh, most of these studies are done in the Orient, mm-hmm. not on Caucasians. Okay, and can you tell us, give us some examples before you jump in? What a fermented soy food? Give us yeah, an example. Like, well, uh, miso, uh, tempeh. Um, have to admit, you know, here in Oklahoma, cowboy. Mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, I mean, not a lot of tempeh and yeah, Oklahoma. exactly. Yeah. There's not, and miso, and and we do have some restaurants, um, but they're not very close and and type of thing. But, mm-hmm. but fermented means that it is uh, mold. And yeast and bacteria, it depends mm-hmm. on the, what type, is added to that culture once again, and then it grows and thickens the product. 
Yeah. So they start off with more like a milk type of a thing. Mm-hmm. They add the culture to it, like cheese. They add the culture to the cheese to thicken it. Same thing with, with these fermented soys. But a couple of these soy products actually have a lot of salt in them. Mm. Now, that salt, also high salted foods, increases the risk of cancer significantly. Mm. So some of these soy fermented soy products can actually have more than half and close to the full daily requirement of sodium hmm. in a serving. Okay. So if it's a salty type food, we and whether it be soy or not, we need to be more careful about that. Hmm. Okay. So so fermented, you know, seems to be the major issue. And the fermented and salts and salted fermented soy products increase the risk of gastric cancers. Okay. So I think it's more like a, a stomach issue. Okay. And or a, and the stomach the salt and salt, aspect. the salt issue, the yeah. salt you know, issue for the gastric okay. cancers, the stomach cancers. Gotcha. And then on regular soy products, mm-hmm. all the studies, most of the studies are done with people that live in the Orient. Mm-hmm. And their lifestyle is different. Their culture is different. For generations, they've been eating, consuming these foods. And there's very few Caucasian studies. Hmm. So we definitely have to consider this because there are also um, another factor. So it's kind of like a, a kind of like a maybe a racial type thing, meaning some people are different, but also just where a person lives is different. So the ingredients, the active ingredients, which have some estrogenic type activities in the soy products, our bodies bacteria in the gut actually change that into a chemical called equal. Equal is a, a hormone and equal can increase the risk of cancers for some people genetically, hmm. but it's the bacteria in the gut that's creating the problem. So we used to think years ago when this controversy was first coming up about soy, I remember and soy is great. Everybody could, should be eating soy. Right. And, and then they say, Oh, well maybe not. Well, it may be due to the bacteria balance that's in our gut. And so even in different countries in the Orient, they can have different bacteria balances. And so no matter what part of the country, even in the United States, each region has kind of like different bacteria cultures in their own guts, in their guts. Very true. Yeah. So travel, that's why traveling, sometimes we can get constipated or we can have diarrhea because the bacteria that we're exposed to is different. Mm-hmm. So, so the, but the end point about soy is that soy milk and soy beans and tofu consumed occasionally is not a problem, but it's not been well studied in Caucasians. Hmm. Now there are some studies showing in children, actually children born to women that did consume a lot of soy products. And I think this was a Caucasian study. The Uh, Mom was consuming soy. She had a baby. The baby grew up to be an adult. She had more problems with her uterus, like uterine fibroids were worse. So, and and it's typically estrogens that stimulate the uterine fibroids. So estrogens estrogens are stimulating. They stimulate the endometrial lining to develop. Progesterone is the more calming you know, anti-cancer type chemical where estrogens are more stimulating and cancer-causing type chemical. So there are some unknown issues, you know, associated with that. So therefore, 
you know, when I go out and I have an opportunity to have a soybean product or uh, in my salad or tofu, I do love the taste of tofu and I will consume it, but it's kind of like the red meat thing. I'm not going to do it many times a week. So it, it is a great option. Yeah, it sounds like it continues to be a controversial topic. Yes. Um, what I've heard also is that soybeans are the most genetically modified oh, yes. agricultural product in our country. At least yes. one, probably the top three. And so if you do consume soy, make sure it's always organic and try to eat it in its most natural form possible, which mm-hmm. is going to be the soybean, the edamame. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, yes. And yes. And going for the uh, non-GMO. Right, non-GMO no, organic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's the best way. Yeah, and that's the best way. Okay. Trying to find that. It's a challenge. So it's more like a health food store, you know, or a higher end store maybe right. to find that. Right. Listen, I actually buy my, I buy um, organic non-GMO soybeans at Costco. Oh, okay. In the frozen department. And so, um, and I um, I do have a little bit of soy mm-hmm. Um a few times a week and it's usually in the form of soybeans mm-hmm. and it's a snack. It's high protein, high fiber. There's so many mm-hmm. interesting things about it. And I've read enough research that I think it's safe for me. Yes, I think it is. But mm-hmm. once again, just not too often, not every single day. Okay. is the main thing that in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So as we wrap up, um, do you have any additional advice to share with me about how I can avoid cancer moving forward? I think probably, you know, the number one thing is being physically active. Mm. Well, you know, we, I'm not, and I'm not an expert in this, but I think we have to be physically active and, and make the better choices on our food. Okay. And so, you know, I do use some supplements to help with the different aspects and certain things that we know are an issue. Uh, it depends on stage of treatment and, and things like that. But, um, but it's, we have to be more physically active and we have to make those little changes like that soda pop thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've got to be careful about that, the sugars, and be careful about overcooking the meat. Right. And so it's, it's every little step that we can make decreases that risk. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's and that's really good advice because I think about friends who who love soda, you know, mm-hmm. and so can they go from three sodas a day down to two, and then you go down to one, or even um, sweet tea versus um, non-sweet tea? Um, can you do half and half? A great place to start. It's a great place to start, and so mm-hmm. all progress mm-hmm. is good. And baby steps are fine because sometimes it is really hard to just rip the Band-Aid off and say, okay, I'm done with sugar. Right. I'll never eat it again. And of course, as soon as you make a statement like that, that's all you want is sugar for the rest of the day. Exactly. Yes. So I've been working on this since 2008. Yeah. And I'm not perfect. Yeah. And so I do enjoy these foods that we've been talking about, but we just can't do them all the time. Yeah, that's true. Okay, now I'm going to end one more time. Okay. I do this a lot, so you'll get used to me. Um, it's, it, you know, I'm, we're moving into the weekend here. Can I have any alcohol? Oh, oh, this is unfair. Actually, <laughs> Sorry, Keith. It's unfair. And what's unfair is actually for you. 
And, and oh, so no. is that what? actually for some reason, women, even just one alcohol drink a day mm-hmm. increases the risk of breast cancer. Okay. Even one drink. So it needs to be a alcohol free option. Okay. So there's, it doesn't make a difference, even as we call the healthy red wine type mm-hmm. thing for women that does increase risk of breast cancer. And there's some genetics involved in that. Men, men and women have the same hormones, same type of effects, even, although we can't, guys, guys don't have babies, but same kinds of effects. Uh, but men can have one drink. Mm-hmm. without it increasing the risk of whether it be for men, breast cancer or prostate cancer. But okay. more than one drink does increase the risk of cancers. And there are certain types of alcohol that I'm, I'm more concerned about, and that's going to be alcohol. I haven't posted things about this yet, but darker colored or tinted alcohol mm-hmm. like bourbons and whiskeys Whiskey. mm-hmm. and things like that, they're aged in burnt barrels. Oh, that is so interesting. Okay. Okay. So now, so there's those chemicals in that burnt, exactly. Just like yeah. it might be on a steak that's you know mm-hmm. really exactly. grilled hot. Okay. So genetically, some of us have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So I don't do those type of alcohol drinks anymore. Okay. Now, wow. wine may also be a similar type issue. Some wines are also aged in some burnt barrels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think we have to be a little bit more careful if we have a, a history, a family history like me, uh, or personal history about some of those burnt products and like burnt barrels, for example. Right. Fascinating. Okay, we could go on for another hour, but um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on Why Did I Get Cancer? You've really given me a lot to think about. And, um, you still and like Pardon? Do I want? You still like me? You still I like still me? Like you. I still <laughs> okay. like you. Uh, but I just, I think what's what's really important here is for people to do their own due diligence. Mm-hmm. You've heard this information and now do a little bit of reading about it. So I know that um, I, I really encourage you to follow Keith on Instagram. And so I'm going to tag you in the show. Oh, thank notes. you. Because you publish a lot of, you you publish the studies that you're reading. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get a few studies of those from you okay. and we'll publish those in the show notes so people mm-hmm. can see, all right, so here's, you know, here's his information about soy. Here's his information about fermented dairy or dates or, or soda and sugar. Mm-hmm. And I think that just allows us all an opportunity to just di- take a little deeper dive into how this works for your body because everybody's everybody's body is different. It is. That is correct. Genetically, we're different. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks, Keith. Great chatting with you. And yes, I still like you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening. 